2: where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Judy Reeves. Judy is an award-winning writer and teacher whose books include A Writer's Book of Days, named Best Nonfiction by the San Diego Book Awards, and a Hottest Books for the Writers by Writers Digest, Writing Alone, Writing Together, The Writer's Retreat Kit, and Wild Women, Wild Voices. For Fiction, Nonfiction, and Poetry, have appeared in many journal, journals and anthologies. A longtime teacher of creating writing, she previously taught at UCSD, that's uh, uh, for those in other states, University of Cal- California San Diego Extension, and has led community based writing practice groups for 30 years. She teaches at writing conferences internationally and at San Diego Writers Inc., a nonprofit literary, literary center she co founded. Her awards include those from the San Diego Writers and Editors Guild, San Diego Writers Festival, and the African American Writers and Artists Association. Mayor Jerry Sanders declared July 24th, 2010, Judy Reeves Day in San Diego. Judy lives and writes in San Diego amid bulging bookcases and an ancient Underwood typewriter that claims its own social media fan fan base. Today, we'll be talking mostly about her memoir, When Your Heart Says Go, My Year of Traveling Beyond Loss and Loneliness.
1: Welcome, Judy. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's wonderful to be here with you on this beautiful this beautiful Southern California day here, here where I am in Southern California.
2: It's wonderful in Northern California as well. <laughs> so we have that, the weather is not always the same as we know between the two places, but today it's beautiful in both places. So I want to start by saying that for very personal reasons, I have such a deep interest in how uh, a a significant, a really significant loss plays throughout a lifetime. And so one thing I'm very interested in is we both had spousal losses young, right, relatively young, and then we went on to live. That's part of what I think is great about us talking today, aside from your beautiful book. You. You tell the listeners some some about Tom and how you came to uh, craft this book, which looks back at that time uh, after a very long time in between. That's really interesting to me. So
1: can you just share some about your story and your book? Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to to come and 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 to do this today and to talk about to talk about Tom and to talk about my book and how that whole thing came about. Um, I uh in my in my previous life I was a producer of audiovisual materials. Tom was a voiceover guy, a radio guy, as a matter of fact. And uh, he came for an audition. Um, and uh, I fell in love, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> Um, and uh of course he got the job um but he didn't get the job just because i fell in love he got the job because he was so very talented and so very good at his his job and and so from from the day that we recorded um that first uh video in uh it, many years ago 1978 actually um we were together until Too few laters, he was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer, stage four lung cancer. And um, then died shortly thereafter, only six months thereafter. You would think after all these years, wouldn't you? Um, You know, you know these things, Cheryl. (laughs) Um, Yes. So after, uh, after Tom died, this was the first time I had been alone in my life since, well, before, since college, actually. And even then, I was living with roommates. And so I got married very young. Uh, and Tom was not my first husband. And so all the way up through that, and I was um, 44 when he died, uh, I had never lived alone in my life, even though I'd been an independent woman and out there in the world earning my living and doing all of that still, there's something about living alone that uh, I didn't know what to do with myself, as I I think happens so often with us when we're with someone, if if not just one someone for a long time, but with many people for a long time, maybe in in, in many cases. Um, So I got real busy (laughs) and I found out I was too busy and filling it with busyness did not fill the place that was empty. So I um, uh, got the idea that I would sell everything and take a trip around the world, um, go solo around the world. um, Three years after he died. And so there I was approaching I was approaching my 48th birthday and uh, bought that ticket and, and took off for a year.
2: Might be a good moment to share that little piece about that decision uh, if you would uh you know i'll say before you do that that um i am not a researcher i'm an intuitive thinker by and large my intuition though is that people who've navigated profound grief follow their instincts a little bit better oh um that that um, you have this feeling I, I need to do blank and it's not practical right uh, nobody would think it's a good idea necessarily but, but it's hard to refute uh, and, and your, your travel your year of travel and selling everything seems like that kind of decision um, that didn't make linear sense perhaps but made a kind of emotional sense
1: when I when I was on that trip and uh, uh, when I was on that journey, a woman I met in Hungary, Katimati said to me, "Explain yourself, Judy." And as if I could, <laughs> I could not. I could not. But um, the the uh, piece that I'll I'll read is actually from the first chapter of the book, the opening of the book, and it is in um, Spring San Diego, Spring, 1990. Uh, and this is just part of that. This is the last last part of that chapter. One spring day in 1990, three years after Tom's death, as I sat on my balcony, sun glittering the water, shorebirds flying in and flying out, I heard his voice from a long time before, from when we'd first found each other. We were at my home in Cardiff by the sea. He'd built a fire in the fireplace and tossed in sprigs of juniper that crackled with an aroma he said summoned canada his home then with a voice that preachers pray for and actor's envy he leaned close and whispered in my ear now when your heart says go the idea came on a sea breeze as though dropped by one of those winging seabirds it came fully formed and utterly irresistible sell the business sell the condominium sell the car Get one of those around the world airline tickets and go. Just go.
2: Is that kind of moment, isn't it, Jindy? Yeah. Where, where you just know what you must do. That's the explanation. Because I must.
1: Because I must. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so and to listen to those, I think, is what, as you said, we have this intuitive voice and so to to have the courage to listen and then respond I think is one of our great lessons and one that it took me some solitude to be able to you know to be able to respond to that.
2: It, uh, one thing that's interesting you know he he got a diagnosis and died in six months. Yes. Um, my first wife got a six-month di- diagnosis and and died in nine years. And it's such a substantially different story-ish in the sense that it feels almost to me like you had to do after Tom's death what I did before Joanne's death. Uh, That by the time she died, it was a very quiet um, attending to myself that happened immediately. Mm -hmm. I never had attended to myself in my whole entire life. even though I was raising children and all kinds of other stuff, but I made space. But if I imagine if she had died as quickly as she was supposed to die without all the investigating that happened over those years, I probably would have gone fast for a while. You know, as you're describing, I, I can't, I have no way to know, but uh, it occurs to me. Um,
1: nine years to... I mean, did you know all that time that it was it was terminal? Was there? She was never well. She was never
2: in remission, and she and her condition was disabling. It was not forgettable, and plus, something about our dynamic was investigative.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Um, we were both like that, and we were like that more together, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time with Stephen Levine as as listeners to this show know, because I mention them a lot. You know, we were facing up to death. And by the time she died, that was faced. The fact that she would die was faced. That's that's very hard to do in a very short
1: timeline, I think. The doctors had, had, had told Tom... Um, up to up to two years. So we were, I was kind of in my mind measuring in quarter years, but Tom chose not to have uh, chemotherapy. Um, When he heard about the uh, ask about investigated the, you know, the quality of of what his life would be. He just um, wasn't didn't want to do that. So he did not and it was that a difficult decision for you?
2: Or uh, not? I mean, hard, obviously. But sometimes it's hard to accept the other person's choice as well. Was
1: that hard for you? Of course, I wanted him to do anything and everything. You know, here's this place in Australia. You know, they've got this thing, this peach seed thing. Let's call them, you know. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, yes, it it was difficult, but ultimately, you know, I I sat with him as he and his oncologist talked about all of the options and all of these things, and um, it's an interesting thing to me. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the difference between men and women, Um, but I I do know that there's something about Tom that he needed to be strong in the world, and um, it's... it, it was a really interesting thing that as he became weaker from, you know, what what it does to you, he began, uh, first he got a uh, taser because he felt like he could maybe, where he wouldn't be able to protect himself physically, now he had a taser. And so he would be able to protect, and I think me too. I was
2: him. going to ask about that because... The, the protective instinct, huh? uh, of course, society supports that, men are protectors, right? Huh. And it's hard hard to completely shed of that, it just as you talk about so much mm-hmm. in your book about the way that being a woman is hard to shed, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the definition, how do you figure out who you are? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's in the background. Uh, Affects some people more than others. But I think you're telling
1: me he was that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy. He had, you know, he was a very strong personality. The room changed when Tom came in the room. You know, sometimes when he would leave the room, I would have to lean against the wall and stop the vibrating. (laughs) He had so much energy. (laughs) Um, And and, um, yeah, (laughs) so yeah, that's how he was in the world and what he needed in the world. And so ultimately his, His choice, I I understood his choice. Um, You know, it's um,
2: when you've loved deeply and helped someone leave the earth, that's a particular experience, I think. Uh, It's uh, every loss is individual. And I do think there are some things that hold true for people in that circumstance not the same for instance for people who have very negative relationships they they might have a lot more relationship regret right i i don't have any that i can come up with relationship regret except i wish more time but we weren't in charge of that you know uh and that would have changed my life utterly too
1: of course.
2: So um, I think probably we have some things in common, having read your book, about being that loved and loving and helping someone exit is a particular experience, isn't it?
1: And I, yes, I I don't know what to to say except that it was a a sacred experience, I think, Mm. for me. And that, to be there at that moment,
2: I'm aware, and uh, this is this will be an introduction before the break, and we'll maybe talk more about it. That you and he were in a spiritual environment, uh, not religious, but spiritual, because I consider twelve step programs spiritual, right? it's a spiritual environment, and people in I know many people in that world. Um, tend to few things, I don't know, what do I, philosophically, a bit, what what are we going to do uh, in response to this, or what are we in charge of, what are we not, do you think that changed the way you and he went through it, that you were part of a 12-step community?
1: Oh, I think so, and being part of that community, where there's so much support, and so much love, and so much um, uh, gratitude, first of all, that you've that you've come to the other side of the uh, addiction uh, for, for, for both of us, primarily alcohol, but also drugs were involved, not heavy drugs at all for either one of us, but prim- So primarily alcohol. But, you know, survivors of the same shipwreck. And so you do have that. There's, there's some kind of mystery that got me from there to here. And I don't know what that mystery is, but I sure am grateful for it. And I'm going to acknowledge that that is present in my life and in our life. And something that we share. Tom is the one who 12-stepped me into the program, by the way. <laughs> but I'm not going to stay with a woman who drinks like you do. <laughs> I don't blame him.
2: <laughs> Bottom line, I guess. Well, there's also, uh, w- when I, I used to run cancer groups for women, mm-hmm. and I noticed there was a substantial difference between women who had faced a previous big thing uh, coming out is an example um, um, dealing with addiction. Another example, you know, uh, loss of various kinds. Those are all losses in my book. Um, they had different questions than the women who had never faced anything huge before. Um, it, it was more, how am I going to handle this? As yeah. opposed to who am I, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think. I think there is, a bit of a difference there yes so you you'd already faced i mean even if it's good for you eventually giving up alcohol is a loss
1: it is a, a huge loss what do you do with yourself and then smoking after that you know giving up smoking after that um yeah so how do i do how do i live in the world without those things that have kept me in a safe place or Absolutely. it wasn't safe but it felt familiar anyway <laughs>
2: It was something you leaned on. Yes, definitely, yeah. Let's go to a break and then we'll talk some more about that because I think that's just a fascinating thing, how those things intersect, fascinating to me. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please follow me on Instagram, like on Facebook, you know, all the things you do. I'm on pretty much all of them. I'm on TikTok, don't do much on there. But maybe I will. And to find Judy Reeves, go to JudyReevesWriter.com. Be back soon.
0: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
2: This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com. Dot com slash good grief and receive a ten percent discount for the first month.
0: Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice. America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: I'm your host Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Judy Reeves about her memoir "When Your Heart Says Go." And before the break, Judy, we were—I uh, uh, was expressing curiosity, really, about the ways in which your um, spiritual foundation from and and the loss of alcohol intersects with then how you handle the next thing. Which in this case was Tom dying. Um, because there's a way in which I think of my life story in terms of the losses that I didn't see that way at the time. But, you know, moving as a kid, losing communities, um, coming out, all of them involve losses, all of the events in one's life. And then something comes along that's so big it stops you in your tracks, maybe a little more. But there is a sense of having maybe learn some things uh, that then you apply and that seems true of you but I wonder if you see it that way
1: all my life Cheryl I've been a seeker um I was brought up in the Midwest I was in Missouri until I was 12 years old and a uh, good Methodist you know family um and this did not work for me as I continued to grow and um, but yet I couldn't find what did. I couldn't find the answer. As I say, I was a seeker. And so I'd look at this and I'd look at that and I'd try the other one. And you know how we, how we do, those of us who, who, who are seekers. And my sister has a very personal relationship with God, uh, with her God uh, through a Christian uh, faith. And I always thought how secure that must feel to her to know that she has this personal connection. And I so longed for a personal connection. My personal connection doesn't come that way. My personal connection. Comes with a sense of. um, Finally, able being able to 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 be quiet and to. um, How do I want to say this? to see that uh, I'm not the center of the universe, but I'm one among all of this, and what a miracle it all is, Um, Mm -hmm. that I am here is a wonderful mystery to which I'm constantly astonished. I think there's something like that, (laughs) Um, and and just the possibilities of uh, having a connection at any given moment when you give yourself over to it. Um, Before we before we started talking today, I just kind of um, was going to get a full fill up my glass of water and I just said this little, you know, breathe in and out Judy and be present with Cheryl and 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 be open to, you know, open your heart and be what's going what's going to come out what wants to come out. And I think that's the kind of asking for that guidance without saying God guide me you know it is it sounds kind of woo-woo does it to say the universe is guiding me but <laughs> um, not to me
2: oh, but okay one way i've heard um the spiritual de- dimension defined is um a belief in something greater than oneself definitely yeah and you don't have to know what that is then if someone is religious. They think they know what it is, and maybe they do. I have no way to know that. But for me, I'm okay with the mystery, and it sounds as if that's what you're saying, that there are unexplained things in the universe that um, are only explained by the fact that we don't know everything.
1: (laughs) And we never will, and that's a hard thing to accept.
2: It is, but I feel comfortable with it. I think you can become comfortable with not knowing
1: stuff. It, I, I think in order to have peace in your heart and be settled in this world, in this life that we have, you have to know that. You have to know that. You know, in there's so many things in... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was interrupting you.
2: a lot if everyone knew that. I'll just put out a word for that. But you know, <laughs> the level of mystery... That you're describing in your book. Mm -hmm. One mystery that was very compelling to me was the things we can know about ourselves in aloneness and the things we can know about ourselves in relationship and and how sometimes they enhance each other and sometimes they interrupt each other. Um, Like it seemed very important that you took that trip by yourself and that You had these moments where other people were involved, but you were the central character in your own story. And and yet there was something else you got with Tom, of course, of course, and with your community. And and the times when you did interact with people, it, it seemed very rich to me. It didn't seem as if it seemed like that told you something about yourself too. Um, looking back on it, because that was a, you, you were writing about something that happened a long time ago in your life. Um, where do you feel you are with that kind of, who am I with people, who am I alone, and how do I put them together?
1: I am so glad that those two me's are finally kind of merging together. I had my 80th birthday last year. And there's something about being an older woman and having been single all this time. I've been single since Tom died. Living alone, doing the work that I've been doing as far as working with other writers, telling their stories, uh, being in community. Certainly my, you know, the fellowship and the AA community, which saved my life. Um, uh, being with people who are, for, for, for the most part, open with their own stories, with their own, as you are talking, you know, as you and I are talking, there is an openness about that 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 is making this connection happen. I used to live a lot in my head, trying to figure people out, what do they want? What are they doing? And, you know, trying to not game the whole thing, but, well, you read my book, you know, I was, there was always the question, am I enough? Will they accept me, you know? (laughs) and um now I know that if I come with that open heart and 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 be willing and, and be kind in the world that that's probably what I'm for the most part going to get get back and so I I still, you know, part of the reason I was able to have so many of the details in my book that I have is because I kept journals. I was a, That's who I conversed with mostly when I was traveling by myself, was myself through my journals. Thank goodness it wasn't in my head <laughs> because that'll get me in trouble every time. But, you know, there's something about a pen and paper that is more honest than what my ego brain wants to tell me. And so getting to know that judy who was writing that me who who i am when i write i this morning i am and whatever follows that Um, so getting to know and i still do that every morning Uh, every day i write in my journal and i think that dialogue with self and that reflection so you bust yourself all the time if you are a journal writer
2: back particularly huh? <laughs> <laughs> For more of, of the book. And then after that, I'm, I'm very, very curious. Why now? Why this book about something that, uh, I guess the book ends when in 1991,
1: maybe. Book ends in 1991. And then it has a brief epilogue after that. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, I, I, I'm sure I'm curious about this because I'm, uh, I am not as diligent as you but I'm doing some writing about um these two big relationships in my my life so that's taking me way back something I feel must have inspired you to do it now and I want to hear about that but would you share a little more from the book first
1: um if I if I wanted to read and and I to 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 share with the audience a little bit more about uh, what happened with Tom uh, and about that moment um, um, of realization? I guess it was um, so. So I, I'll. And this is just another very brief piece. And it is. It is as you s- talked about my book. It is a chronolo- chronology starting when I got on that. You know, made that decision and took that trip. But there are many flashbacks in it that relate to Tom and our life together and 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 all of that and and even going.
2: I have to say they're so interwoven, and as I was mentioning on the break, I feel as if you you uh, opened up the experience of Tom's uh, illness and death more and more as you went along, and so I'm I'm uh, happy to have you share something about that part of the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Now this comes more than a hundred pages into the book. Um, Uh, And and so it's June 1996, Hamuwa, which is where we lived in the country. Summer in the backcountry starts early and stays late, and I was already hot. Changing the sheets on our bed one morning, I noticed some small scuffs along its redwood base. I bent down and ran my finger along them, skimming the indentations when Tom came into the room. I glanced up to where he stood, just past the doorway. A mass, he said then stopped speaking and put his open hand on his chest near his heart. What? I straightened up, went to him. What do you mean? In the x-rays, he called it a mass. Who? Jim, our friend who lived down the road and had a small chiropractic practice connected to his house. I asked him to take the x-ray, Tom said. He told me I should see someone. His voice, That beautiful voice that was the reason for our meeting all those years ago, that voice cracked and he couldn't say more. He didn't need to. We stood together in our bedroom on that hot country morning and held each other. It's not going to go away, he said, finally.
2: Tom strikes me as what I guess I would have to call a realist. Yes. Capture it. Um, it. Some people are romantics. So I guess I'd call myself romantic. <laughs> and then there are people who are just the facts. Yes. Uh, and then us us romantics have to kind of deal with the facts, don't we? <laughs> Do we? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Uh, yes. I um, mean... I- been trying to blend those as I go along. You know, I can be a realist and be a romantic at the same time. Uh, we have
1: to be, don't we? To, in order to deal with the real world, especially, you know, a woman of my age living alone um, and still working and and doing what I, well, any, any, any of us have to have to be able to do that. But yes, Tom absolutely was a realist. And I think, uh, you know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier is one of the reasons that he chose not have the chemotherapy he knew it wasn't going to cure him he knew it would it would interrupt the quality of his life and he had things he wanted to do he kept working uh he kept recording he kept doing all the things that he did until three days four days before he died actually so um he was that he profoundly remarkable because
2: cancer itself eventually makes you feel terrible so that's Quite remarkable, um, and so this um, this sense of sort of who am I with in different parts of my life? How do I put it all together? To me, I I think I was projecting. That's a word in my line of work. <laughs> um, uh, that um, I know with with Joanne, I felt I could be my entire self um didn't mean we didn't have to work stuff out but I I wasn't busy trying to seek approval or you know turning myself into a pretzel I was entirely myself with another person and I projected that there was some of that with you and Tom
1: he uh, being my entire self yeah somebody who wants you as
2: opposed to some, you know, approval-seeking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Am I completely wrong or a
1: little wrong? Or what do you, What would you say? I think he... I think t- because Tom was such a strong personality and didn't hesitate at all saying what was what with him um, in that voice, <laughs> which carried, <laughs> you know, in a world, that kind of a voice, um, uh, I think that he pushed me to do more that was authentically me than anyone I have ever been with before. I have had a number of mentors in my life and you know people who encouraged me and all that. But he pushed me and challenged me in a way, knowing when I was, I don't want to say slacking off, but knowing when I was holding back. When
2: you were not... Um... you were not in line with your
1: magnificent self i guess or you know what one time he said to somebody and i overheard him say it he said she doesn't even know how good she is and he was talking about my writing actually i think in my work and my work ethics uh, and all of that but but it was true because there was always that you know am i enough am i enough you know and and there was an interesting thing you know i Also, in one, talking about this in one part of the book, I write about, you know, finding and being that true self who we are and how difficult it is for us sometimes in relationship to be that. My first husband, I I wrote about him. He said to me once as we were going toward our divorce, he said, I fell in love with who you were and then I tried to change you. Well, isn't that? Thing that happens. That kills the whole.
2: <laughs> kills the whole deal. That was quite an honest statement on his part, wasn't it?
1: And and he was trying to change me one way. What Tom was trying to do was not change me, but say, be that you know, claim that, own yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. We still didn't quite get to the question of
2: of why now with the book, but we'll get there on the other side of our break. <laughs> um, quite interested in that. And listeners, you can go find both of us during the break. You can find me at weatheringgrief.com, weatheringgrief.com. That's my website or the Good Grief Host page. To find Judy Reeves, go to judyreeveswriter.com. Back soon.
0: America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
2: This is Good Grief host, Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a ten percent discount for the first month. when your heart says go. And uh, we never did get around to the question I had uh, last segment. We talked about many other things instead, but why now? What, what um, encouraged you or what inspirational um, impetus happened that you went back to tell this story now in your life? Since I, um, when I, when I, I, I I'm, I'm sorry, sure. story to yourself, but in putting the book out, you're telling the story to the world. Something must have inspired that.
1: I had been since I returned and 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 from from that journey all those years ago, and and uh, got quite involved in in starting up the writing center, th- these organizations. Uh, I was writing all the time, and what I had been doing was taking bits and pieces of um, the the journey, writing about that. I made, I did a, a short story about Tom's death uh, that was fictionalized. Uh, and I so I had done this little bit of writing. That was a lot of writing, actually, here and there in different forms. Some of it was fictionalized, some of it was personal narrative. Um, I was in the middle of maybe the fourth draft of my second novel when those damn seabirds came winging in again (laughs) and said now (laughs) now is the time um I, i i have to tell
2: you that was what i imagined um having had similar moments now's the time right um but there's also something so uh, evocative to me about reading that story then and then speaking with you now, um, because I I have the idea that really did change something that that journey that um, and you went all, I mean you really did go far in a field, many different countries, many different places in different countries. Um, mostly by yourself and navigating being a woman alone in all those places, um, I could imagine there's sort of a a bit of a through line to who you are now that
1: that maybe evolved then. I that seeker, that journeyer, that, uh, um, uh, you know I write in, in the book about um, my father, uh, opening his world atlas when I was a little girl and and we would go page by page by page so I let me get myself together here I'm trying to my, my brain is telling me say this say that my <laughs> my mouth is going off someplace on its own <laughs> so let me bring us back bring me bring me back um so that uh so that th- that through line of writing so. I thought my first investigation would be how memory works. I was so curious because of the things that come to us through memory. So curious, how does that work? And why am I, if I'm writing this, and then all of a sudden this memory from when I was in Budapest comes, you know? And so I thought, well, I'm going to write about, I had always intended to write about that trip. I didn't know that it was going to be a story of my loss of Tom's death. of course it was connected how could it not be because i wouldn't have gone otherwise at least not on that journey um a, a, but as it as i was writing i found out you know this isn't really i don't really want to do the research about memory and so i happened to still have all my old journals that i kept during that trip and so when i would be writing a, a particular piece i would consult the and i wouldn't be able to remember what was the name of that street what was that cafe you know who was and so i would consult the 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 journals again and i the things that were revealed to me in the writing of the memoir that were so connected to 30 years before when i was on that journey the one of the reasons that the way i told the story of tom's illness and death in those increments the way i did the more i wrote the more i discovered the coincidence of timing of the buildup to the war, that first Gulf War that happened while I was traveling to his, his diagnosis and his illness. And the different things that happened in that war, I discovered were also happening to his body, happening to his life and all the way through. And that's why we don't he doesn't die in, in the book until near the end of the book. And when I finally had to leave and come home it was shortly after the anniversary of his death. And so there there was that. And then when I was writing the dang thing, <laughs> I would be dating things that the coincidence of dates. And I and I, I I can't say what that was, but that coincidence of dates, that coincidence of timing, there was some kind of something that was guiding that. And it was almost like that was the journey then, but the journey that I'm taking now comes from writing that, you know, what we say in, in in writing memoir is not, it's not what happened, it's what happened and this is how it affected who I am today. And um, so
2: that's what I was thinking about. And and it shows through, I feel, because it's hard to write. Uh, someone said to me recently, but it probably wasn't the first time I heard it, we can only understand our, uh, our past uh, looking back. Yes. And there is some truth to that it, it, it's too close in the moment to really understand, but looking back matters. It's not just a it's not just a um lingering in the past thing, is it it's a, no. a present uh as I'm thinking about writing about these two big relationships in my life, they're both present. they're both yeah. present in my own mind uh. Even though one of them is dead and, and one of them isn't the person she was 25 years ago, right? Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I think I understand that uh, why yes. someone would do what you did, and it just it captures my
1: fancy. I think anyone who is interested in n- knowing about themselves, you know, that self-exploration, I think that's just so important for all of us asking the questions of ourselves. I think writing our stories whether we intend to write a memoir or not, but just writing our stories uh and 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 asking ourselves the question, you know, of what what matters about this? What what does this mean to me? How did this affect me? And and this is going to when you see this in your practice all the time, I'm sure, when people talk about the, how, something that happened and how it affected them now, and I think writing our stories can do that for us, for us too. Um, how to see a thing freshly is how I sometimes
2: put that. Yeah. Change happens in the present. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, in the past, but the change happens in the present, doesn't it?
1: And so who I was at the beginning of... Um, My relationship with Tom was not the same person then. At the end, but the relationship never ended. Really, did it? (laughs) And then, who I was when I started that trip was not who I was when I came home. But who I was when I began writing the memoir is not the same person I am now. You know. Let's have you read from uh, uh, near
2: the end of your uh, of your journey uh, that. in India, and what I think the part you're reading captures this—the uh, pivoting you did all the way through the book, right? Ha, um, responding to things as they came to be, not as you thought they might be. As you
1: thought they might be right. Well, <laughs> yes. So this did happen. At, and the the war had been declared by this time, and there I was in India, and and Americans were not welcome in India at that time. Um, uh, so this is in uh panjam goa india 19 january 1991 and i ask myself these questions all, all my life i've done the next indicated thing go to school get a job get married get divorced get married again go to the next job the next man never have i been at a crossroad crossroads where there's no clear indicated next thing it's as if finally as i near the half century mark I'm acknowledging a deeper need, the sort of soul longing that has sent so many on an odyssey to we know not where. This is not a search for a certain where to be found on any map. It's a process of finding ourselves within ourselves, a home, and we may not even know we're there until we awake one day and discover ourselves welcome, the wished for guest we have been waiting for. And I think that's what ultimately Happened for me is oh this is who I am. <laughs> this it is who I am. Makes
2: me it. it makes me think of. I, I believe it's it's Audre Lorde who said we are the people we've been
1: waiting for. You know she is a big influence on 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 my work as she is so many writers. Yes.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to let you get away without saying that I've already quoted you a couple of times this week. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, people who are into words, as we both are, uh, you live there more than I do. I, well, I live there verbally, not as much writing. Um, we're always looking for the perfect words, right? Uh, we we want to find the perfect word. And, of course, it's um, it's only a line on a map, a word. It's not the thing. But... <laughs> But we want to capture it. I feel you captured something quite special. Uh, you described your therapist trying to make you come up with more and more words for the experience of your your grief, of your mourning. And um, first of all, I, uh, you know, thanks to him. <laughs> but I think you would have gotten there anyway. And the word you came up with is missing. I find that so, um, profound because there's missing the person, there's the person being missing, there's the physical sensation of missing something. I, it really, really does capture quite a bit. And I, I wanted to, to say that, um, I, I think other people would, would get something out of that word because, uh, for one thing, finding a fresh word always helps, too. Right? Um, otherwise, it seems like nobody gets it because a million people have used that word. Was uh, yes. <laughs> it as profound for you as you came upon that in therapy? As it it's it feels to me. Uh, you don't have much time to talk. We just have
1: a little short space left, but. I was going to say, you know, that I remember that particular incident all of those years later and wrote it in the memoir. I would say that it, it did, and in a way, it sounded very kind of naive to me. But the way you, the way you give it back to me, I get it differently.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't say naive. I would say a very honest and pure attempt to find a word. And it does capture something I hadn't heard before. And I've heard a lot of grief for it. <laughs> it's been a delight to talk with you. I hope it has for you, too. Oh,
1: it has. And it's gone so fast. Could we have another hour?
2: I know. Anytime. Anytime. It's been a delight. And so you can go to JudyReevesWriter.com to find Judy and her book. And I highly recommend it. Next week, I'll have Susan Finnamore to talk about her memoir, My Disappearing Mother, a memoir of magic and loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.